O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness? Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. In the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. But today, our message is from the Bible. It's from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. And it says, I think you guys all know this one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your hearts and with all your soul and with all your strength or might. So today's message is really short. But before we... Before we uh, talk about the message, I want to play a game. You guys ready? Yeah. Okay. So I'm gonna, I have different hats in here. And each hat represents a different job. Do you guys know what a job is? Yes, I do. What's a job? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Audrey, what's a job? Do you guys have jobs? To get money, yeah. But it's a job, like, it's something that you have to do, right? Do you have a job? No. You don't. Do you go to school? You kind of have a job. Well, there's a very important job that we all have, I'm going to show you. But before, we're going to play this game. So, for example, if I bring out a hat that looks like a police officer's hat, you have to guess what uh, job it is, okay? Or like a fireman's hat. Okay? I don't have those, so that's why I named those two, okay? But I have some other ones. Okay, here we go. You guys ready? Yes. Okay. Here's the first one. Okay. Don't look. Everyone close your eyes. Okay, here we go. Okay. Open your eyes. What, what am I? A chef. A chef. Yeah, what do they do? Cook. They cook. Okay, good. Okay. All right. Close your eyes. Okay. All right, open it. What am I? A train A conductor or an engineer, maybe? Yeah, I drive the train. Choo choo. Okay, close your eyes. This one's. This is. This is what I really do for a living. Okay, you guys ready? You guys ready? Okay. What am I? Open your eyes. Yeah, I'm an Apple employee. That's what I really do. Okay. Okay, this one's really fun. Close your eyes. Everyone, close your eyes. This one's the hardest one to put on. Okay. <laughs> All right, open your eyes. What am I? A spaceship. A spaceship? <laughs> what am I? Astronaut. Astronaut. What do astronauts do? Fly. They fly. They go to space. Okay. I got, I got another one. Close your eyes. Close your eyes. Close your eyes. All right. Open your eyes. What am I? A princess. A princess. What do princesses do? do a lot of things, right? <laughs> this is Arlene's. 
Okay, last one. This one's, a, this one's really hard. Everyone close your eyes. This time, no peeking. This, is, this one's really special, okay? Okay, open your eyes. What am I? A wrestler! They pretend to, they basically dance. Okay. So we have a lot of different jobs here, right? We talked about uh, wrestler. What was this one? Astronaut. This one? Conductor. Apple employee. Chef. And then we got the princess, right? And we have all these different jobs. But do you know what the number one job is for us who believe in God? What's that? To believe in God. To love God. Uh, yeah, to believe in God, to love God. And we might have a lot of different jobs, like maybe a dad or student, sister, brother. Um, we have all these different jobs, but the most important job we have is to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. So I want you guys to think about what that means, because that's the number one most important job. Okay? <coughs> Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for uh, this time that we have together. And God, um, not just children, but all of us, we have a lot of different jobs or things that we have to do. But there's one thing that's the most important, and that's loving you. Above all else, above anything that we can ever imagine in this world or what we think we have to do, the most important thing is loving you. So God, please remind us and help us to teach that to our children. And, and in ways, let the children teach us this as well. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, children. There was a quote that I put in our Facebook uh, group a while ago that said something like, uh, from Tim Keller, he says something like, your future self will always look at your present self and see nothing but immaturity. Therefore, you're immature right now. And I think that goes for even a broader saying. It's like sometimes we look at the church and we look at people younger than us and we go, oh, if only you knew. If you only you knew that college doesn't mean much. If only you knew that your SATs really don't mean that much. If only you knew your elementary school didn't really mean that much. But instead of looking down and saying, well, you know, I'm more mature than them, we need to look at people younger than us and always say, let me help you to understand how Christ redeems what you do at your age. Don't follow my foolishness when I was that age, but follow Christ. And so we're always looking to younger people, not with contempt, but with joy in knowing that they too can know Christ, even at that young age. We rejoice in them. And as younger people, we want them to look up to us who are older and say, here is a man or here is a woman who doesn't look upon our troubles and see pettiness or immaturity, but see people who are really wrestling with, what does it mean to know God in my life today? This is what it means to be a covenant family in Christ. It means to love one another in our life stages, in our circumstances. To be able to rejoice with one another when they rejoice. To be able to cry with one another when they cry.
Just like you as parents, we rejoice when our kids are able to just stand up. <laughs> we rejoice in anyone younger than us who are able to say, listen, I just finished the Bible for the first time. Yes, yes. I just asked the Lord for forgiveness for the first time. Yes, yes. I just took a leap of faith today and shared the gospel with someone for the first time. Yes, yes. This is the covenant family that we have. This is the covenant family that the Lord has given to us. Our sermon today is entitled Save Through Through Grace, Not Through Law. And this continues our series on Save Me, O Lord. Today, what I would like to talk about briefly, since we do have communion today, is talk about sort of two pitfalls the Christians fall into as they grow in their faith. A lot of times when you sign up for something, perhaps it's something on the internet, it's like this deal looks looks superb and you you click that button you get you know 12 months of coffee for I don't know two dollars a bag or perhaps you get that job and you read that job description said this fits me well but then you get that first bag of coffee instead of being 12 ounces it's like six ounces you go to your first job and you realize that the job description isn't really exactly what you thought it would be that your interpretations of the words were actually a little bit off. Your idea of that job is a little different from what the corporation wants from you. And what happens is that you start to get disappointed, frustrated. What does it mean to be in XYZ position? What does it mean to be in an in Club A or Club B or Club C. You've been initiated in, but the expectations just weren't met. Do you know that this happens to us as Christians as well? There was that day when you raised your hand and you said, Jesus Christ, I believe that you are my Savior. I do believe that I'm a sinner who needs saved. And you came into my life and there was sweetness in knowing you. I remember that first song that I sang to you, oh Lord God, at that retreat. Perhaps it's Refiner's Fire, perhaps it's Shout to the Lord, you know, just all those oldies but goodies. And, and, and that song spoke to you. But then as you grow in your faith, the expectations of what you thought Christ would do for you or what you thought the church would do for you weren't being met. And perhaps when you look back, you hear that song, shout to the Lord again, you don't have good memories anymore. But it's a part of you that has confusion, frustration, maybe even contempt. I urge you that if that's where your heart and your mind is today, that you cry out to the Lord, save me, O Lord. Save me. Show me what salvation truly is about. 
Show me what it is that you saved me from and what you saved me to. Let me know what it means when your scripture teaches us that we are supposed to have joy and joy unspeakable. Teach us what it means to us when your scriptures tell us that we have this hope for glory. Teach me what it means when you say that we now have peace with God, peace with you. What does that really mean then? Because surely there's something amiss in my life. And it can't be you. So it must be me. So save me, Lord. Save me again. I believe that one of the hindrance of the Christian life is that we have forgotten where we were saved from. And we have forgotten what it means to be continually saved today. Our culture is a culture that really has embraced what we call Reformed theology. It really has. Our culture has embraced the love of God. Our culture has embraced that God loves us unconditionally in our sins. That God loves us while we were enemies towards him. Our culture has embraced that. You talk to anyone on the street, whether they're a Christian or not, and you ask them, would you rather have a faith where you have to do X, Y, and Z and God loves you? Or would you rather have a faith where God loves you right where you are? And everyone will raise their hands and say, dude, I like the latter theology better. That God loves me while I'm an enemy towards him. God loves me with my sins. God loves me. And that theology is true. And we must embrace that. You have been justified by faith alone. And this is what Paul is trying to, to, to convey to the church of Galatia. That they received the Spirit, not by works or the law, but by the hearing of faith. That all of us at one point, at one time, when we understood how evil we were, and yet God loves us in our evilness, we rejoiced greatly. And I want you to remember that time. To remember the testimony that God's given to you. And to rejoice. One of the things that that aids us in remembering as, as little children, is it not? The simple joys that they receive when they confess the name of Jesus and you see brightness on their face. When they pray to the Lord for very simple things, God, just help my mommy to get better. God, help me to get that little toy soldier that I want for Christmas. And God answers simple prayers for them out of his love. And their faces light up. (laughs) 
that day that you were saved, those moments when God has revealed himself to you, I urge you to reflect with thankfulness to what the Lord has done for you. Do not look at, look at it with contempt. Do not look at it with derision. Do not look at it as, oh, this is just some young person who just didn't know any better. This is Christ in you speaking to you by God's grace and God's mercy. He allows you not to see the truthfulness of all that you are at that moment in time so that you can see the truthfulness of all that he is and to be loved by him at that time. You've been saved by grace and grace alone. But what happened here in the church of Galatia where Paul is adamantly chiding and rebuking this church is something that happens to all of us. Theologically, the, the term we put out there is, is legalism. And what it is, is that we have forgotten that we are saved by grace and grace alone. And that we are continually saved by grace and grace alone. But most of us like to put a nice little line in between. We're saved by grace and grace alone, but the Christian life, I need to earn God's favor from then until God returns again. And we start living by the law. We start judging ourselves and our maturity and our understanding of God by how well we follow the law as opposed to how much we're just loved by God. And the more and more we let the law intervene between our relationship with God or our relationship with Jesus, the more the law becomes an encumbrance to us and the more the law becomes a wall to us between us and Christ himself who wants to reveal himself face to face with us. Tell me if you ever had this conversation with yourself. Jesus surely is not for me. Surely Jesus doesn't want to meet with me today. I haven't read the Bible for a while. I haven't walked with him for a while. I have anger issues. I'm confused about a lot of things of the Christian faith. And God won't, won't see me until I get my life in order until my moral compass is straightened again. The law becomes like a secretary, and Jesus is the, the boss in the corner office. And we need to satisfy the secretary that we are good enough to see Jesus once again. And what happens to us is what? Instead of putting our hope in the Lord and the sweetness of fellowship with him, regardless of where our hearts may be at the moment, we sneak back into ourselves and try to plan out how 
is it that I can once again be in the good graces of God himself? This is how you know you're a legalist. Is when you are worshiping God or when you're trying to live a Christian life that you don't actually see the person of Jesus but you simply see laws and things and lists of things to do to accomplish a Christian life. It's when you stop seeing the face of Jesus and fellowshipping with him is when you know that you've become a legalist and you're just doing things just to do things, doing things just to satisfy God, doing things because he's asked you to do it. But a Christian who's been saved by faith and faith alone and not through the law is the same Christian who is being saved not through the law but by grace alone as well. The only difference is this, is that now you see your sins even more. And praise be to God for that. You go, what are you talking about? I like my innocence. I liked when I raised my hands, I said, I love you, Jesus, and Jesus loves me. That faith is a faith that God has given you at the beginning stages of your life. Just like a good parent to draw himself to you. But in order for us to really love God fully and to love people around us fully, if we have this sort of um, truncated, Pollyannish understanding of Christianity that gets us nowhere, it has no power in this world of evil. But the more you understand the evil of your own heart, the sinfulness of your own heart, and the more you will understand by God's grace how much he really loves you. I said this last week, and I'll say it again. When, when God saved you as an omniscient God, as an omnipresent God, as a God who's outside of time, he already knew all of your sins. In fact, he knows everything that you've done in the past, that you've done now, and you've done in the future. And he even knows your motives better than you do. Just like a parent knows the motives of their children better than the children do. And yet God, in knowing all of, all of that, still loves you. That's the good news. And so is there anything that can separate us from the love of God? There's nothing that can separate you from the love of God. In fact, when you feel like you're far away from God, you're actually still close to God. All you need to do is just turn to him who's already with you. in the middle of your sinfulness, in the middle of your complaining, in the middle of, your, of, of, of the dryness of your faith, in the middle of complications in your life, all you need to do is turn to him. And he's there. He's always there. 
Do not let Satan tell you that surely God did not say you are saved by grace and grace alone. Surely you need to do some things before God welcomes you back. Do not let Satan say that to you. But even now, today, at this moment, for some of you here, perhaps many of you here, just turn to Jesus and Jesus will turn to you. And let his love wash over you again. To know in the midst of all your struggles and all your sins, God is there. Now why do you need to do this? You see, what's happening in this church in Galatia is not only are people themselves becoming legalists, but they are projecting that legalism to other people around them. And that usually happens is when you're a good legalist. When you're a good legalist and you're doing all the good things, what happens? You project that to other people. But even if you're a bad legalist, you still project it to other people. What happens within the church, and and, and we need to continue to fight against this, any good church needs to fight against this, is that we need to draw people to Jesus and not to CCPC. We need to draw people to Jesus and not simply to our community groups or to our, our gatherings. We need to draw people to Jesus instead of saying, well, we need to all pull our weight in helping this church to, to do the things that it needs to do. We need to draw people to Jesus above all things. You see, when you become a legalist towards other people. This is what it looks like. Hey, uh, let me pick a name out of the air. Let's say Tara. There's no Tara here. And I say, hey, Tara, why weren't you at community group? And she probably has a really bad answer. (laughs) She should have been there. She should have been there. Is my response going to be, Tara, man, you know, disappointed in you. Really disappointed in you. You know, I don't think we can hang out together as much because you're not pulling your weight. You're just not pulling your weight. I'm there all the time. Why aren't you there? I have as much, even more responsibilities than you do, but I'm always there. And what happens in your heart, if not in the words that you say, is that you start to withdraw from that person. You start to judge that person. You put a wall between you and that person. And what that wall looks like is this. I will not love you with, I will not love you with the love of Jesus until you show me that you're deserving of the love of Jesus that I have in me. And that's how legalism bears its ugly fruit in the church. And once we do that, it's when Satan gets a foothold in our church and tries to divide and divide and divide. Obviously, going to community group is a wonderful thing. You need to come to community group. 
Obviously, if you're a member here, you need need to do the work before the Lord. Obviously, all of us here who know Jesus have been given gifts to help this church to grow and help the the witness of Christ to, to go to all the nations. But we do not do it out of legalism, out of law, but we do it out of grace. Because surely Christ will do his work regardless of how faithful we are. God does not need us. God chose to use us, but God does not need us. And even in our unfaithfulness, God will continue to use his means to bring forth his glory. Our duty and our job is to bring people closer to Christ. Instead, I should say to Tara, Tara, I missed you. But hey, how's your faith? You know Jesus still loves you. You know I still love you. You know I still want to walk with you. You know I'm not perfect just like you. You know that Jesus is the only one that we can go to. Let's go to Jesus. Let's pray. Let's pray to him. Let's pray for one another. Let's pray for our church. Let's pray for this nation. Let's pray for the missionaries. Let's let's pray for the world. Because our obedience and our disobedience, whatever it may be, God still loves us. And God's will will be made fulfilled through us. So let's praise him. Let's worship him. Let's love him. There is going to always be enough sin to go around in this place. There will always be enough people falling into temptation in this place. Always. We need to have grace and mercy on ourselves and grace and mercy on others. For the joy of being a Christian is not about how well we can run away from sin. But it's about how fast we can run to Jesus. That's who we are. That's what we must be. No sin should surprise us in this room. Nothing. But we do not need to hammer each other with our fallenness. But we pull each other towards the hope of Christ that we have in us. And that is where we go. How is your Christian life? Do you wish your Christian life was as innocent as a little child again? Do you wish that you didn't have to wrestle with your heart? and wrestle with other people who are just as sinful as you are? Do you wish sometimes as I did that when Jesus saved me on that day that there would be sort of just perfection that that would just come? Do you wish you no longer had to, to wrestle with the fact that there's still fallen people all around me and that you yourself are fallen? If you do, then Jesus is not for you. 
Because nowhere in the Gospels does Jesus promise that. But if your joy really is set up not on your comfort, but on glory, on God's glory, to have a meaningful life, because God has given you meaning in all things, then come. Come to the one who gives you life and life abundantly. Come and fight the good fight that brings about joy and faithfulness and character. Come and let us go through those rocky valleys together but climb the heights of God's grace as well. Come and step by step we will see God made manifest here. So we say to our God today, whether we are a new Christian or someone who's known the Lord for a long time, we say the same thing. Save us, O Lord, from myself. Save us, O Lord, from my wrong theology. Save us, O Lord, from my wrong practice. Save me, O Lord. And when God hears our voice and we see his face, we are overwhelmed by the forgiveness and the love that he has given to us. Let's pray.